Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie-by-movie and television series-by-television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Jessica Jones, first released in November 2015, when, if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends, you could have watched Wicked City, The Bastard Executioner, or Best Time Ever with Neil Patrick Harris instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of Jessica Jones shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give her thoughts on Jessica Jones is film scholar Miriam Kent. Miriam, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter at Dr. Marvel underscore, and that has all my relevant details. Okay, so before we go any further, Miriam, what happens in Jessica Jones? Jessica Jones is a kind of neo-noir, hard-boiled detective kind of a series, uh, kind of a character who was part of Netflix's darker, edgier, more grown-up contribution to the Marvel Cinematic Universe which was groundbreaking at the time. It was kind of around the time when TV shows were starting to go into the whole transmedia integration with the rest of the Marvel universe. But yeah, Jessica Jones, gritty, supposedly realistic, supposedly feminist, lots of interesting stuff happening there based on an interesting Marvel character. Well, that and your Twitter handle make me think that we're going to get an interesting answer to the next question, which is, Miriam, how much did you know about Jessica Jones before you saw the show? I did my PhD about women in Marvel films specifically but also looking at at comics and and other media. I was familiar with the character in Marvel Comics. She's, you know, an established part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She's not necessarily a mainstream kind of a character. She's what's referred to as a street-level character. And she debuted in a a kind of special series that was aimed at grown-ups and was very kind of sweary and violent. So always doing something slightly different but also kind of part of the marvel universe so yeah i was i was relatively familiar with the character well that's quite an important thing about you bringing up the fact she is referred to as a street level character because i have always suspected that the fact that five characters in particular ended up on netflix in tv series rather than in films although i believe at one point iron fist was slated for a film but they're all characters that i think would be difficult to do in a film that kids might go to see because as we'll come back to in a minute, Jessica Jones in particular and the Punisher as well, there's a lot of issues that you couldn't 
really, really tackle in the two-hour film that, you know, you might take your nieces and nephews or your kids to or whatever. And the violence in them as well. While I don't think they're especially violent series, it's a world away from, you know, Iron Man battling somebody copying the Iron Man armour in the sky. It's all very realistic. And some of the fights you could actually describe as bone crunching. With Jessica Jones in particular, it went into some very dark areas, didn't it? Because I should just give a brief positive history of Jessica Jones. She, in the comics, although this isn't explored on screen, she's a classmate of Peter Parker. She was in an accident with her family where they collided with, I think it was a truck carrying radioactive waste. And she developed super strength and flight, although you never really see her fly on TV. It's just hinted that she tried being a costume superhero called Jewel. It didn't work because she ran into somebody called Kilgrave, we're going to talk about in a minute and she wanted to withdraw from that life completely became a really kind of seedy back alley detective with a lot of personal problems I mean it goes into PTSD alcoholism and so on and the series does not shy away from addressing all of that does it? No and that was part of a number of debates that were happening in wider kind of popular culture about the place of superheroes within kind of entertainment industries and target audiences and this kind of idea of superheroes dumbing down popular culture which is still you know something that's brought up today thinking about people like martin scorsese or francis ford coppola kind of talking about oh well it's not cinema it's you know just a thing for kids you could see these series as kind of a response to these criticisms as a way to kind of broaden out the appeal of superheroes to people who are perhaps a bit more prejudiced towards what is thought of as you know traditional superhero fare but yes thinking about sort of the darkness and the grittiness and the kind of everyday characteristics of these superheroes who occupy this kind of post avengers normal everyday new york life and you know life kind of went on for superheroes after that event and not everybody who has superpowers in this universe is one of the avengers so i guess it was an interesting aspect to explore and the way that it did that is by looking at kind of important grown-up issues like ptsd for example yeah it's interesting you bring up the avengers and the actual kind of traditional superheroes there because i feel that these series i mean with agent shield and Agent Carter they were kind of complimenting the films whereas the Netflix ones are sort of a reaction to them in that they're in the shadow of what the Avengers have done each time and later on they all team up as the Defenders but they're kind of almost resentful of Thor, Captain America and so on because they feel that they aren't helping the little people in inverted commas, you know the people with everyday problems are being extorted and in Daredevil's case kidnapped and sold and things like that and that's what they're fueled by but Jessica Jones goes so much further because in series one the main antagonist is Kilgrave who we joined Jessica a number of years after she's given up being a superhero and after her first encounter with him Kilgrave who's played by David Tennant in the comics he's referred to as the purple man here that's limited to him wearing bits of purple clothing thankfully he's somebody who can literally tell you what to do he can command you completely with his voice and keep you totally under his control it's a very powerful exploration of male coercive control that he basically just attempts to control Jessica largely it's nothing to do with his actual plans a lot of it is just for the fun of it I mean he uses a lot of the people around her to further his plans to manipulate her but it's almost like he's toying with her a lot which is a very disturbing line to go down yeah I mean he, he was part of a kind of whole chain of TV series at that time but partly because of the possibilities that platforms like Netflix and HBO offered kind of presented this scary kind of patriarchal white man who you know by the end of the series is you know hopefully eliminated and that kind of spoke to the series 
sort of wider positioning as feminist, whatever that kind of meant within those discussions. But it definitely kind of depended on stuff like Orange is the New Black. You had things like Kimmy Schmidt also going on on Netflix, things like Big Little Lies. It was a whole kind of trend at that time where you had these kind of overtly sort of feminist goals incorporated and the key kind of antagonist or villain would be this kind of scary patriarchal man who needed to kind of be expunged by the end of it. But that's not to kind of downplay the important issues that it kind of uses to kind of make its points and explore the way that this guy's powers work, because it is like a matter of he makes you do anything. And the way it's portrayed is that the people who it affects don't want to do these things and they know they don't want to do these things, but they have to do them anyway. So there's these great little kind of nuanced moments throughout the series where he's just a nightmarish guy. The thing is, though, I think we've both made it sound like quite a dark and depressing series. And it's actually, despite all of that, it's essentially an action series. There's a lot of humour in it, a lot of sort of fast-moving action. And it's interesting to look at the characters that they surrounded them with. I mean, one thing I found out before that I had no idea about was the original treatment had Captain Marvel Carol Danvers in it who obviously is Jessica's best friend in the comics but obviously they had other plans for her in series one alone we've got Luke Cage who of course later went into his own series who is another vigilante with essentially super strength and bullet resistant skin who like in the comics enters into a very awkward not quite relationship with Jessica where they're never 100% honest with each other there's Malcolm her neighbour who he's a heroin addict but Kilgrave made him into a heroin addict there's Claire Temple Daredevil's friend Night Nurse who is basically a surgeon to vigilantes but there's also somebody who we will come back to in a bit a really interesting choice Trish or Patsy Walker as she was in the comics now in series one she's just Jessica's flatmate and a talk radio host and I think anyone who didn't know her history would just see her as a almost a comic relief character but that was an early hint we're going to do something a lot darker with her down the line. What did you make of the cast of characters? I mean, another important one is Jerry Hogarth, who significantly is a lawyer who was male in the comics, and they made a female for this, which I think was a very interesting move. But what was your view of the kind of ensemble? Yeah, so it was a really strong ensemble. And even just looking back at these characters, it makes me kind of reminisce about, you know, the characters and stories. And part of that is kind of down to the writing as well. And there was a big sort of push for more kind of female influence in the production side of Netflix stuff and the key writer was actually the person who wrote Twilight which I mean (laughs) people's opinions of Twilight are varying but it's interesting that Twilight got kind of picked out as this kind of anti-feminist text whereas Jessica Jones was kind of characterised as this like epitome of feminism in popular media. Yeah it's really interesting part of the appeal of superhero adaptations for me is the way that they do things with characters who have existed for decades. So you get characters like Patsy Walker or or Trish in the, the series who she was part you know 19 1940s comics. She was a, a character from teen comics, which are often thought of as you know, romance comics aimed at little girls who, again, going back to the Twilight thing, are thought to have bad taste. So the way that they crafted this Trish character out of something that is has these kind of connotations of appealing to little girls and maybe trashy kind of romance narratives, it's really interesting that they use this character as a kind of commentary on celebrity and kind of child stars 
eventually they kind of extended that into this uh, kind of a dark storyline as well. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting the way that they used this series as a means to kind of experiment with these characters. In series two, I think it's significant that there is the whole incredibly dark storyline about Kilgrave and Jessica in series one. Um, let's just say, without giving too much away, because I'll be aware there'll be people listening to this who haven't maybe seen Jessica Jones or didn't stick with it or just haven't got around to it yet. Kilgrave never quite goes away. That's as much as I'll say. But series two is a completely different storyline about she's given cause to look into the origins of her powers and what actually happened to her family. Again, there's not much that we can say without giving too much away. But I think one thing that's really significant is without the same kind of influence over as there was in series one, they allow Jessica to be a bit more human because I think there's a key contrast between there's a scene early on where in a bar because she spends a lot of time in bars because it does explore her alcoholic tendencies there's a scene where a man who's absolutely vile to her she basically uses for sex in the pub toilets as almost a sort of self-harm and when she decides she's had enough she basically to be crude about it just gets off him and walks off but then she meets her new neighbor oscar who is a bit wary of her at first but she quickly develops i would say basically a crush on him and it is so disarming when you suddenly see the lighter side of jessica jones come out and the scenes with her just sitting on the couch with him just enjoying herself i think it was really important that they gave in series two the opportunity to do that to move away from the much darker angle of series one and let her live a bit really part of the appeal of that i think is that you're never quite sure how long it's going to last with a character who's kind of established as being that dark and that gritty so yeah i mean i, I appreciate those scenes as well uh, but at the same time you're also horribly aware that there's like still scary things going on there's still really complicated things going on but i guess she is she's allowed to be more liberated in the second and third series because of the events of the first series and it does tie more closely than series one did in with the films because a lot of it hinges around the aftermath of captain america civil war because the threats are being sent to the raft the prison for heroes and villains alike who let's just say have contravened certain accords that's like an agents of shield thing that's picking up on something from the films and showing what the implications were for the people that you know the the big blockbuster films didn't focus on it literally threatens i mean jessica herself is essentially an ordinary person trying to get on with her life who doesn't necessarily want her abilities anymore you know uses them as a tool to well protect others mainly but because of the actions of other people that she wants nothing to do with her liberty and the liberty of some people around her is threatened yeah and a lot of it is going back to the kind of the thing that marvel comics were kind of known for in the past and and now as well but also kind of in relation to dc is that it was like soapy drama it was kind of based on human exchanges it wasn't necessarily about these kind of gods or like godlike kind of archetypes and navigating their world it was very much a kind of well peter parker is a nerd and you know <laughs> he goes to school and he has problems with girls and things like that and even even like jessica jones in the comics there was a whole kind of storyline about how she like has a crush on peter parker and it's it's really sweet and kind of endearing so yeah i think it, it was really interesting the way that it, it used this kind of event in the the avengers to as a kind of catalyst to explore what it might be like for people who happen to have these superpowers who want to get on with their lives and just be normal and part of the kind of struggle for jessica jones is that she doesn't want to be a hero she doesn't necessarily want to be like the avengers she feels compelled to help people in certain ways but it's almost like she has to admit to herself that she's a hero where do you go 
is also reflected in series two is where i mean we still can't quite get on to the full extent of what happens with trish yet because that's yet to come but she starts to become resentful not even really resentful of jessica but feels that she's not using her abilities in the right kind of way and starts to crave abilities herself and basically goes a bit mentally off the rails and she lands a job with kind of a fox news type organization at one point because she starts ranting about violence on the streets and what we should do to the perpetrators which is a big setup for series three that's quite a key thing really is that's what drives a wedge between you know because there's a great flashback episode to them as teenagers socializing and you realize that despite their differences they were inseparable and it's superpowers the one thing that jessica doesn't really want that comes between them and that's a fascinating angle to take yeah and a lot of that has to do with the way that they were raised because just just Jones was adopted by Trish's mother and they were, you know, basically sisters growing up and it's kind of like a rivalry but at the same time it's not because a lot of it has to do with these ideas around talent and serving people with your talent which is something that Trish was kind of raised to do as a child star by her sort of manipulative mother. It's like you need to serve people because you're so talented. That results in this kind of bizarre sort of fissure between these two characters where they both have abilities and they both they have these expectations that they need to do something with these abilities but on the other hand one of them doesn't really want to be a hero in the same way that you know the other one was kind of raised to be a superstar well that's explored a bit further in the defenders which is the team up series featuring all the netflix characters bar the punisher but obviously we're coming back to that in a later episode but it does set up neatly what we need to talk about with regard to series three which is that i mean the main storyline there involves gregory salinger who i think he was fool killer in the comics who's kind of a bit like the punisher but operating in a very different way and in a more sinister and whimsical way if that makes sense but the secondary storyline is a more disturbing one really which is you mentioned patsy walker's history in humor comics but there was a weird diversion where in the early 70s marvel started to dig into the history and bring back people like the original before ghost rider was a burning skeleton on a bike who'd been possessed by the devil the actual original ghost rider was just a cowboy and they brought him back number of the things but they had the genius idea of bringing in patsy walker as kind of it was retconned that she was a child star who had a comic named after her and that post fame she started hanging out with the avengers and grew more and more interested in developing abilities became hellcat and then a very strange thing happened where putting it in as simple a way as possible she became romantically involved with damien hellstrom who to all intents and purposes is the devil's son and that kind of opened a 
different part of her psyche where she was still the same fun, happy-go-lucky Patsy, but was aware of a darker world. And then she was one of the... I don't think she was one of the first founders of Defenders, but she was one of the Defenders for a very long time, and they have much, much darker adventures. And in Series 3, Patsy basically starts to become Hellcat, but not with that happy-go-lucky attitude, with a much more, I suppose you could describe it as unhinged. And there is a brilliant bit where she's trying out outfits and she tries on the Hellcat costume and just says, no, and discards it. But I actually found that more interesting than the main storyline in Series 3. I'll be honest about that. Yeah, I agree with that in, in terms of the main villain or the person who was set up to be the main villain is kind of not that interesting. It's not that compelling. He plays a role in kind of drawing out these kind of these rivalry themes in um, Jessica and, and Trish but the main kind of storyline with him was was a bit sort of bland but yeah it did it kind of opened up these avenues to explore the kind of darkness in, in Trish and what that meant for her relationship with Jessica yeah it was there's a, there's a strange moment in it when you kind of realize what's happened to her and that she has kind of uncovered this darkness and, and let in this this whole new kind of world that you hadn't really expected if you, if you go back to those early episodes with Trish you don't really expect that from a character who's like she's a talk show host and you know, she's she's blonde and she has a nice life as a kind of ex-child star. But yeah, I think it, it did some interesting things. I don't want to give away too much talking about it, obviously, but yeah, it took a surprising turn of events. Well, we got three series of Jessica Jones, which is the most of any of the Netflix series, more than Agent Carter, in fact, as well. And they were all very highly acclaimed because I think some of the other series dip a little in the middle because they're all 13 episodes per series and there's kind of filler episodes in the middle of most of the others, I think think but Jessica Jones I think stayed on a high level throughout and it was very heavily acclaimed but it's never been fully established probably as part of the Disney deal the Netflix series were all decommissioned and apparently there was an earlier draft of Avengers Infinity War where they all appeared in it and it was discarded because I have some disputes with this but they said basically we'd have to introduce all these new characters and that's unfair on the audience it would use up too much time and I did think watching it surely there would be a lot of people watching Infinity War who say hadn't seen Black Panther or hadn't seen Guardians of the Galaxy there's not really much introduction for those characters they just come in and you accept who they are so I think that was a bit unfair but I don't know whether we're going to get any more Jessica Jones, but do you think there's more mileage in it? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see Disney doing darker themes or kind of more everyday sort of heroes as well. I think it grounds a lot of the, the kind of overarching thematic issues they deal with, like around identity and gender and race and class. And yeah, I would be disappointed if they didn't explore these kinds of characters more. I do also think that they would be shooting themselves in the foot to kind of disregard a whole kind of chunk of audiences who are more into the grown-up superhero stuff which has you know proved to still be wildly popular even after you know Deadpool and Logan and those kinds of grown-up superhero fare so I mean yeah I would I would love to see more of Jessica Jones there's definitely room to explore more of her her stories and there's you know an ongoing comic I think at the moment that would you know give some material that would be worth looking at okay well there's only one thing left for me to ask now Miriam if you had super strength expert detective skills and the ability to fly though we'd have to take your word for that what would you use it for at the moment I would use it to, to uh, go out of my house and fly above the world and be, be safe to go outside. That is a very excuse form of social distancing, but I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Miriam, thank you, and Excelsior. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this, 
Don't forget you can find more editions of It Could Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.